Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest in the building today, Senior Vice President of um, Healthcare at Easy Health, Logan Ferry. Logan, thank you so much for being on today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yes, yes. It's, it's, we've had to reschedule a few times, but we, we made it. We're making it happen. So we're, we made it work. We're, we're here. Well, you know, Logan, before we get into talking more about value-based care, which in you know the things that you're passionate about, you know, tell us, you know, a little bit more about yourself and what gets you up in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I've really exclusively been working in healthcare industry for the majority of my career here. I actually started um, as one of those individuals who thought that med school was the only answer for me. And got right up to the front door before I decided that I really wanted a more grandiose picture of, you know, the, the patient profile, if you will. And so um, I, I cut my teeth at uh, pretty formidable organizations, namely Oak Street Health and Village MD. So I spent uh, several years at both really learning about, you know, gr- literally at a grassroots level, what is value-based care and how do you transform not just a clinic, but a network of clinics across state lines, national to actually take on this value-based care approach that's been building steam you know, for the last couple of years, I would say darn near 10 years. So um, again, I spent several years there and really, you know, my continued focus on value-based care and thinking about the, you know, taking equity in patients' care is really what gets me up in the morning. So I had a very close family experience where I, I believe that if preventative care and, you know, early upfront action would have been taken for my father, that uh, you know, a, a more impactful transition to his, his passing um, and a cleaner transition to his passing, if you will, would have been the case. But nonetheless, you know, we're still early in this value-based care spectrum as, as a nation. So, um, you know, I wake up and I really want to try to change this as much as I can, albeit it is a beast of a system. So, you know, it is a lot of day-to-day work, hand-to-hand combat. So for those that are not on in the thick of it, like you are, you know, how would you explain to somebody what value-based care, healthcare, what does it mean? Absolutely. So, you know, when I think of value-based care, I think of the providers and the care teams taking true equity in their patients' care. So it's less about what are the quantity of services that you provide it's more about what is the quality of service that you provide. And instead of getting paid on a more transaction-based, uh, you know, transaction, transaction-based work, you're really getting compensated for the performance that you achieve and the performance being how well that patient's actually doing and how, you know, how adherent to that care plan are you keeping that patient? The benefits of, which is kind of answering the second question, is the, the benefits of value-based care is is overall the quality of the care that the patient is getting and more of a team approach to that. Would you, would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. So, you know, I think the benefits are best explained through just a patient example. So let's take, you know, John as a patient example here. Let's say he goes to see, you know, Dr. Smith and Dr. Smith is what we know to be a a more of a fee for service type primary care clinic. John goes to see that provider and he presents with, you know, you know, he, he just says, you know, I have trouble walking. And the provider says, okay, well, let, let's, let's dig into that. And what the provider comes to find is that, you know, John doesn't, he doesn't use his cane as much as he regularly should, though the provider does a full comprehensive physical exam, um, you know, tells him that he needs to exercise more and to use his cane regularly when he ambulates. Boom, on to the next patient. Let's say John then presents to a value-based care primary care center. Um, and he goes to see Dr. Jane. Let's use an example there. Um, and Dr. Jane starts to dig into why is he having trouble ambulating? Maybe, you know, maybe it is the cane. It probably is a, a portion of the cane, but maybe it's something else. So she starts to pod and pro- poke and prod more into what are the underlying disease states, quickly finds out that, you know, John, the patient, he actually, it's hard for him to breathe when he walks. And when he is eight, when he stands and walks, he starts to feel this, you know, stinging pain in his calves. So she decides to do, you know, point of care study to understand what is the root cause of this. Um, also, you know, plans to do some heart testing for him because she understands that if hey, he has, we call it dyspnea on, on exertion when he's walking. But come to find that based on the outcome of those studies that, this gentleman is actually presenting with some heart failure and some vascular disease. She captures the condition and documents a care plan against that condition. That at the grassroots of it is the differentiator on the patient experience side. Yes, it may be a more difficult conversation with the patient on the forefront to talk about some of the heart failure or the vascular disease that exists outside of just saying, hey, use your pain. But what Dr. Jane has actually done is dig into the underlying disease state to surface that and put a care plan to prevent progression of that disease. So if I'm John, right, different patients will, will uh, appreciate different perspectives. So from my seat, understanding how value-based care works is that, you know, that, that is a prevention of a future disaster to some extent mm-hmm. and prevention of additional medical costs and spending down the road that otherwise could have been prevented through an upfront intervention. That to me is is really the the differentiator in terms of the actual you know provider patient experience to some extent in the benefit design. You know, as I think about what that experience brings, Corey. You know, I, I think um, a lot of other industries have already shifted from a, a service economy to an experience economy, and I invite everyone to read the book Experience Economy. It's, it's fantastic. Um, healthcare is quickly following and, you know, some of the, the tactical items that, that you can track to see that transition is there, there's an item called caps that exists in healthcare. And we're starting to see caps, which is a patient survey to understand experience Mm. and service delivery excellence. I say excellence because excellence and service delivery to me means experience. Right, And it's starting to more heavily weight your actual quality performance, which everyone is super obsessed with in this space, everyone being CMS, health plans, provider groups, specialists, you name it. 
are really starting to focus in on this quality performance. And with caps having a bigger contribution to the overall quality performance, you're starting to see these really tactical items influence the decision-making from you know, the governing bodies at large to really focus on, on that experience. And um, you know, circling back to our to our lovely patient John, um, really, you know, he came, he presented to the doctor that day, which may have been a different day than any other day because we know he's been living with you know difficulty ambulating, and so he's already taken a step in a direction that he may not have otherwise took a step. And so you see, he's starting to you know, it's either got so bad that he had to go. Or he said, hey, you know what, let's give this healthcare thing a shot. As we know and, and talked about, you know, before our time here, a lot of folks are kind of still disenchanted by healthcare system in general. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if, if we're putting a patient on a conveyor belt only to feed them through to see 40, 50 patients a day to cover, you know, our clinical costs to keep the lights on, you're not really going to invite patients a warm invite to come back to see you again. So maybe they see, you know, Dr. Jane down the road, or they just don't receive healthcare services. So if I'm in the seat of Dr. Jane, I'm thinking about the experience that I can provide to that patient, because guess what? I'm taking equity in their care. So it's on me at every face-to-face encounter is really an opportunity to re-engage that patient and help them adhere to the care plan that I wrote out for them. Yeah. And even the, as you, as you were talking about that, that fake patient, right. Even the, that one good experience could lead to his leg problems. Maybe addressing that he won't be going to the emergency room for care because he has a plan or he, he won't need to, he won't be thinking about that. So even the, the cost that you don't see, that you're saving and, and the benefits for that, for that organization and for that patient, you know, who's have, who's having to go there and use those resources, just taking care of it. It being more thorough with your care is a benefit as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you think about from the patient lens, of course, there's going to be a bit more upfront service delivery, if you will, right. through, you know, you do a set of services to uncover the underlying disease state. And there's some friction there as the patient says, you know, couldn't you just give me a new cane or tell me right? Yeah. regularly use my cane, something that, that's more functional for me. But really what it does is, you know, the, the best case scenario is that the care plan is generated. The patient is adherent to that care plan. And so it keeps them out of the ER and it keeps them out of the inpatient stay. And it keeps, you know, them happy, healthy out of the hospital is a phrase that, you know, I, I, it's near and dear to my heart. Thank you, Oak Street folks. Um, and w- what that means to me, and I think to the broader, you know, folks that are in primary care is that we can still really wrap around that patient, what, even when they're in the outpatient setting. So in the inpatient, obviously you have tight management, rigorous management, but there's introduction of a lot of other conflicting factors as well. I mean, we're mid-pandemic. And so if a patient's admitted to the ER and then they're, you know, ed, or they're they entered to the ER, then they're admitted to the hospital, you have a great chance of, of catching, you know, another potential disease. Like I said, we're mid-pandemic. So what are the chances of you getting the Delta variant actually as you go to the hospital? I don't know. You know, I haven't done the, I haven't looked at the studies on that, but I got to assume that, you know, a patient staying several days in the hospital may have their initial disease treated upon exit of the hospital or discharge, 
Mm-hmm. But there's likely some other confounding factors underneath. You know, I, hospital food tends to not be that great <laughs> if you've been in the hospital <laughs> and you're sick mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily want to eat. And we know nutrition is the route to a lot of, you know, either healthy living or poor living. Right. So, you know, if you don't eat, you get, you know, calorie malnutrition, for example, which is a great example that we continue to find in the primary care space upon discharge of a hospital. So, I think there's a lot of factors there, but that is, the underlying theme is, you know, if you can set a care plan early on to prevent disease progression and then support the patient through a hub and spoke model where the patient is the hub and have these wraparound services continue to talk with the patient, you can get them re-engaged in their healthcare and really adherent to the care plan from a provider perspective. Right, right. Let's kind of stay there. You know, with with value-based care, a lot of the conversation has been around providers and quality of care. And even a, a research study that I, I read or a survey, like 60% of healthcare consumers agreed with, like they, they agree with value-based care and, and all that. But, you know, with that, what is the patient's role in all of this? You know, when the provider is, you know, doing all this upfront you know, care and doing all this planning, what should the patient's mindset be and what should their role be and making sure all of that work, you know, um, works for them? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about kind of introduction of how a patient should present, I, I think what's important to note is that the innovation in the healthcare space is allowing it to be much easier for a patient to really engage in their healthcare. Whereas previously, a patient had to present to a facility, oftentimes sick before they went to that facility, receive set services, you know, adhered to the care plan to some extent. You know, you you have uh, you're you're prescribed um, a script, and that script is supposed to prevent you from you know further disease progression, if you will. But we know that that kind of transactional based work isn't always resulting in the best outcomes. I mean, let, let's talk about an antibiotic, for example, right? Like the, the, the doctor prescribes you 10 days of an antibiotic, you take the antibiotic for five days, and then you're like, ah, you know, I'm done, I feel good. And you throw away the other, you know, five days worth of pills. It's really, you know, transactional in nature. Whereas the value-based care space in the environment is really allowing for a multimodal design and system where the patient can engage on multiple fronts. So if they're sick, they can present to a facility, of course, right? We don't limit that. But if they're sick, they can also present to a provider through a virtual system. And the virtual system, I think, grounds itself in this in this model of home as a health hub. Mm. And we really believe that at Easy Health. And we understand that, you know, it's home as a health hub we already have devices in our home that make our home smart, right? And we're starting to see that more and more elderly individuals in Medicare are really engaging in, in this, in, in this smart hub idea uh, for whatever reason allows them to kind of make that transition or to the more technological approach. Really the home of the home is a health hub model allows us to complete telemedicine, telehealth, digital health, and remote patient monitoring are just a few examples of how a patient can engage in their healthcare without actually having to get up and go to the facility. Albeit, you know, if they're that sick, you need to go to a facility. 
but you can also engage through this remote patient monitoring, which we know works very effectively in terms of helping status a patient. So imagine a world where a patient wakes up and can give you a red, yellow, green sign. That red, yellow, green sign flows to a care management team. And that care management team can act based on the designation of the color or the health status of that patient for that given day. So what we're trying to do is really break down barriers for patients to engage in their healthcare. And the, the hypothesis is that that will result in more adherence to care plans that providers had already would have put in place. Right. So just... And what I've talked about in many podcast episodes before, you got to go where the people are, telehealth and a lot of these other ways of that you were just talking about just makes it so, like I said, makes it so much easier for them to be an active participant in, in, in their care, which I think was, has been missing for some time of them being an active participant. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, again, we're trying to get away from that kind of conveyor belt analogy, if you will, of, of what I think is kind of standard fee-for-service medicine and getting into, yeah. again, more of this hub-and-spoke model where the patient can run down a series of spokes based on their health status in that given day. So really, it's about early upfront action with prevention. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, what is, what's the future of value-based healthcare? Where do you see it going f- from here? Is You said, you know, t- it's been 10 years in, yeah. in the making. You know, where is it going from here? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to continue to get multimodal in design. So we see the introduction of innovation through a disaster, and that disaster I would frame as the the COVID pandemic, right? right? So I think what we're seeing is that healthcare is, is a big, slow moving machine, right? We know that to be the case. As healthcare in America, you know, we, we do great things for people who are incredibly sick, right? We change lives. But at the same time, I think we've invested so much time and energy into the end of life care for patients where we could have actually moved upstream and focused more on preventative care, which mm-hmm. in my mind really is value-based care. And so moving upstream, I hope, does not require another crisis, if you will. <laughs> we've had COVID hit us once. Delta is here. Let's continue to try to move above and beyond this, get your vaccination. But moving upstream, I think a requirement to get there, the actual bridge is multimodal design. And it's really engaging the patient as, as early as possible. Like if anything is outside of the ordinary for a patient who knows that they have underlying chronic disease, how could they engage a member of a care team or a wraparound support model like a, like a care management team, or even social workers if they're feeling down for the day to actually influence that disease process for them before it turns into a crisis. Because really what we're trying to do in this space is, prevent, is to prevent crises. Right. So when you say multi-level design, you mean incorporating, and correct me if I'm wrong, but are you talking about incorporating like the social workers and, and, and the care managers, you know, those those people who, before they even have to uh, see their provider. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you think about, you know, the value-based care side, we have, we have the in-clinic facility, we have telehealth, and then behind those under, you know, under the, that immediate surface, if you will, are all of these additional folks that work in healthcare beyond just a healthcare provider or healthcare delivery agent in, in a physician or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant 
for example. You know, there are an incredible amount of social workers and care managers that work in this space that I think are absolutely critically important to actually promote healthy living for patients. And those folks are ideally in a value-based care setting are very approachable and easy to reach, if you will, at a moment's notice. So if you think about, um, you know, COPD is, is a common disease across the Medicare population. We're talking anywhere from 15 to 25%, depending on where the region you live in. What we found through prevalence studies is actually that 50, darn near 50% of those patients have depression whether it's you know, diagnosed in its current form of major depression, or it's not quite diagnosed yet. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's an adjustment disorder that otherwise probably should be depression, but it's not called depression. And so we know that patients with chronic disease are living with mental health challenges and introduced COVID pandemic, I would assume that that's going to you know, escalate those mental health challenges, if you will, is now you're cutting off source to... Uh, to food, to transportation, and and lim limiters associated with the COVID pandemic. And so you have these additional resources like care managers and social workers who can really influence at an earlier stage than what maybe a provider could, because our providers are very busy, right? right and, and not saying care managers and social workers aren't busy, but they tend to be a little bit easier to get to. And so when you think about multimodal is really, it's people process and technology. We talked a lot about the technology and the process, but the people behind it in, you know, the additional folks that work in, in value-based care environments are really critical to the success for not only the, you know, the patient's outcomes, but obviously the organization as well. Yeah. And I would even, I would even plug health coaches into that, you know, working, absolutely working in a clinical setting. There, there's so much, even on the preventative side, there's so much that care managers, social workers, health coaches that they can do to, to, to solve that problem for the patient before they even have to schedule with the provider and to talk about those social determinants that are, that are an issue and finding solutions for them. So, yeah, man, I, I think, I think you're totally I totally think you're totally right. Like those care managers, those people, they can, they probably have more solutions than the provider does on the certain situation because that's yep. what they do every day. Agreed. You know, it's this early upfront action is a great preventer of future crisis in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I think all of us know it. We, we, you know, your ego is telling you inside your brain's telling you that that, that is the case. So let's play it out and actually introduce these folks to the broader healthcare system, right? Health coaches, care managers, social workers, critically important for us to, to really make that leap upstream for preventative care. Absolutely. So um, one last question and for, and this is you know specific to those um, communities that are, have a certain feeling around healthcare, you know, and we kind of talked about it before we started the podcast, a lot of, you know, Black African American cultures have a, a feeling about healthcare, or they have their mm -hmm. rightfully so. I'm not saying that there's wrong. I've, I've had family who have had bad experiences in the healthcare system, but to those to that group of to that group, not just Black people, people who have negative feelings about uh, healthcare, and you know, honestly, don't really know much about value-based care, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who are just learning about it for the first time. 
what would your what would a, a good word of encouragement be to that population that doesn't doesn't want to go to the hospital, needs to go to the hospital, but it has that fear? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Corey, just like you said, you know, I I, I think it's a snowballing effect. And all it takes is one bad experience with the provider to disenchant not only that individual patient, but even generations Mm -hmm. beyond that. So you think about your grandpa had a bad experience that could very well snowball to your father and snowball to you. And you say, Hey, you know, I broadly, I just don't really trust that these folks are doing the right thing for me. And I think that's because of this old methodology of the kind of the go back to the conveyor belt methodology of, you know, you, you bring in a patient, you see him for five minutes, the doctor's gone. And then, you know, oh, by the way, you waited 35 minutes in the waiting room just to see the doc at the time that you were scheduled for, right. You go through the five minute visit, you know, you're out and you're hopeful that they did all the right things for you in that short amount of time. And so I think to get away from that disenchantment, it really is moving to a model where healthcare providers are going to focus on you and actually take equity in your care. And that is value-based care at its root, right? Like the healthcare providers, the healthcare organization, the system really takes equity in that patient care and allows for multiple sources to reach a healthcare provider. It's not just sit in the waiting room for 35 minutes to get a five-minute episode with the provider. It really is this wraparound support and the ability to reach different resources to support with different activities is, is what exists in value-based care. So, you know, as we were saying, Corey, um, you know, I used to work uh, south side of Chicago at 95th and Cottage at, at, a, at a clinic down there with the American Cancer Society. And what I found is that a lot of patients were actually very nervous to be at the hospital, not just because they were sick and they didn't know the outcomes of, you know, they didn't know the underlying disease state or what the outcome would be but they were nervous that the provider was going to just kind of jump on their back and say, what the hell have you been doing? Like You've totally been missing the boat on this. And while of course, some providers will have that approach and kind of that, that shock factor approach to try to get the patient back adherent to their care plan. Really, when we think about that, that timing component and doing a comparison against fee-for-service and value-based care, you know, if you're going to have a hard conversation like that, it's much easier to do it with a little bit more time spend, you know, more more actual time in the in the visit room or the exam room with the patient beyond just the straight conveyor belt where you're going to have a short snippet the provider barks at you and then you leave. You actually have more of this inclusive kind of conversation-based approach because the provider on the value-based care side is trying to uncover any other underlying disease state. So let's say they actually uncovered, you know, depression or some other dependency that they otherwise would not have uncovered in the previous episode of only, you know, the five minute touch. And then you start to get into more of a detailed conversation and understand what is actually the underlying cause of concern and and nervousness. So you see it, you know, I keep kind of pinpointing on the value-based care being a wholly comprehensive wraparound approach. And I really believe that folks who are doing value-based care at scale and really doing it effectively are, are approaching patient cases in that sense. They're really trying to re-engage right. them back into healthcare. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Logan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And I got a lot from it. Um, anybody who's listening that wants to get in touch with you and learn more about you or you know, easy health, uh, where can they find you at? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Corey. And I appreciate the time today. It, it's been a fantastic conversation. Very intriguing, thought-provoking this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to reach me, you can always reach me on LinkedIn. Um, search my name, Logan Ferry. I am actively in, engaged on that platform. So don't hesitate to reach out there. You can also reach me by email at lferry at joineasyhealth.com. And don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Again, Logan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll holler at you next time.